It's graduation day. Everybody say, yay. You don't even know what you're graduating from. We are finishing, we are graduating from the book of Hebrews. For the last 30 weeks, we have been in this journey where we have been learning verse by verse through this book of the Bible. And today, after a lot of studying, for many of you, you've been studying this book alongside of us in your personal time, in your small groups, and then our time together, it is time for us to graduate, to cross uh, the platform, receive our diploma as going through the hard work. And there's been a lot of distractions and a lot of difficulties along the way, but by God's grace, we have made it. And my hope and prayer is that you've been blessed through it. But just like with any graduation, many of our students, both in high school and college, will cross a platform if they haven't already, but in these days to come, will cross the platform and all of their hard work, all of their diligence will have paid off. They will receive the diploma that they have been looking forward to. But the Christian life has a graduation day as well. The Bible says that one day we will graduate out of this life and into eternity. And right now is the hard work. Right now is the diligence and dedication, the daily decision to follow and honor Christ and to do what is pleasing in the sight of God. And so the writer has been telling the church who has been beat up and knocked down that they should not give up. That graduation day is just on the horizon. But in the meantime, you're called to live out, you are called to run the race with perseverance, the race that's been marked out for you. And so we're in the midst of this marathon. We've not yet graduated, we've not yet hit the finish line, but until then, there's this doubt, there's this wondering, will we get there? Will we ever graduate into heaven? Will we ever cross the finish line spiritually? And the author in our passage this morning, as he closes out this book of warnings and challenges, ends this entire book with encouragement. And the encouragement is you and I can go the distance. You and I can graduate. You and I can cross the finish line. And he's going to give us three reasons why that is true. So let's turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to go through verse 25, because that's all we've got. And what we're going to see, first of all, is we're going to see that your pastor, Pastor Tim, is not the only one who says, in conclusion, and then gives another point. Because what we're going to see here is he's going to finish in verse 21 with the word amen. When you hear the pastor say amen, it means he's got one other point. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our text this morning. But let's look at the first couple verses of this benediction. It should say at the top of your uh, Bibles, my, my Bible heading says benediction. It is the blessing. It is the send-off. It is the final word. And this word is an important word. It's not just something we forget about, but it's the one thing that The speaker, the author, wants us to remember, as you leave, take this truth with you. Here's what he says. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and help me out. Amen. The author ends his words, his sermon, his letter with a blessing. And the blessing is the knowledge of whom we serve, God. He begins by saying, now may the God. Who's the God? The God who he's been teaching about and telling us about, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what he wants us to know is that you and I can finish the race, we can graduate, we can go the distance, because listen, God is behind all of this. And so you and I can have confidence that we're going to get where God has promised us because God is with us. Now, God's going to do some things. God, first of all, is going to establish us constantly. We are going to be established constantly. That means that there's this process or, or continual uh, process of us being established over and over and over again. Well, let's talk about that word. That word established isn't in the text. It's my word. It's what I believe God is doing in us. And so let me define this word for you. To be established means to be flourishing. But it's not just to flourish for a moment, but it is to flourish over and over and over again. To be established means that you are successful over a long period of time and that that truth or that fact of your success is known by lots of people. Uh, We talk about this in the restaurant world, that uh, such and such is a Chicago establishment. We talk about that with like Portillo's. We talk about that like Giordano's. These are places that for a long period of time have been known to serve good food and, and, and served as a reminder of a successful organization or business. What the author is wanting you to know is that you and I Because of the grace of Almighty God, you and I, no matter our difficulties, our struggles, our dysfunctions, our idiosyncrasies, our sin, you and I, by the grace of God, are being established to be an establishment of vitality, health, success, not only for you to know it, but for the entire world to know it, and it is to the glory of God. Now, How could a group of people in the days of Hebrews who were being beaten down and knocked out of their community fellowship, they lost relationships, they lost property, they lost their freedoms, they were thrown in jail. How could people like that flourish? How could people with such tribulation and difficulty flourish and find health and vitality? The author is going to give us the reason. It's because of God. And there's some truths about God that we need to know. Notice, first of all, maybe you might want to write these down under our first heading. We see the peace of God. The peace of God. Now may the God of peace. Now stop there. This isn't the first time that the Bible's talked about God being a God of peace. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see what Hebrews would call the shalom of God. The peace of God. In the New Testament, we see this 13 times, that God is referred to as a God of peace 
in the New Testament. In fact, twice in this letter, he speaks about God being the one who brings peace. Now, right away, our American vernacular says that peace means a certain thing. To have peace means a certain thing. To the mom who's got a uh, house full of kids and she's ready to pull out her hair because the kids are screaming and there's chaos all around and she prays to God, God give me peace. I'm going to imagine what she's praying is a cessation of the chaos. Now that's not the peace of God. That's peace, that's serenity, but that's not the peace of God. If that was the peace of God, then what these people would have said is, wait a minute, if God is a God of peace, why are we struggling with such difficulty and such uh, trauma in our lives? God isn't the God of peace. Well, God's not the God of what we view in America as peace, the ending of all hostility, the end of all problems. What God is, is that God is the one who gets you through the tribulation, through the storm, And he enables you to have all that you need that you can live at peace amidst the storm. That's the God of peace. The God of peace doesn't take away the storm from his children. He gives you everything you need to get through the storm and not just weather the storm and come out frazzled in the end, but you come out better as the Lord allows you to be battered from time to time. And so what God is saying through this is, I want you to know people who are enduring very difficult struggles and trials, you are going through a storm. And I will never promise that you're not going to have storms. What I'm going to promise you is I'm going to get you through the storm. That's why Peter said to the church that he wrote to that was enduring a lot of trials and troubles, he says that he, he would pray that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, would guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, and let the peace of God take away the problems. He says that the peace of God would transcend, it would surpass whatever is coming our way. We see the peace of God. Notice, the peace of God is no good unless he can back it up, and so he does. We see the power of God. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Let's stop there. What the author does is he says, all right, I know you guys are struggling, I know you're hurting, and I know that the very premise of God being the one who's going to get you through this is a little difficult for you because you're in the moment. I want to remind you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the down payment that if God met Jesus in his time of need, then surely God will meet us in our time of need. If God can resurrect his own son from the grave, then God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Why? Because God has all the power to deal with whatever concerns us today. And what he does is he points back to the resurrection and he says, if you need any proof, let me show you my resume. Jesus was in the grave on Good Friday, but on Easter Sunday he had arisen from the grave. And so the truth that we have isn't just a truth that as we go through life, when we die, we'll be resurrected. The resurrection of Jesus is our down payment for the great resurrection of our bodies on the great and glorious day. But the author knows what the people are thinking, and he says, but wait a minute. It's not just that we hold on to the power of God, and we just hold on for dear life and grit our teeth and try to get through it, 
But then no doubt the people were saying, well, that's fine. When I die, I got a promise. But what happens when I'm living, I'm alive, and a day or a trans, something transpires that I want to die? How many have been there before? You're not dead, but you want to die, right? And you're like, it would be better if I was just gone. In those moments, the author keeps going. He says, let me tell you about this God whom we serve. He says that this Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. Now let's stop there. So we have the peace of God. We have the power of God. Now we have the protection and provision of God. The mention of Jesus being the shepherd of the sheep would have been known by Hebrew readers Just as it is an important truth and passage for us, Psalm 23 was revered by the Hebrews. They loved the imagery. Number one, they loved that their King David, who at that point was a shepherd, was writing and worshiping about this good shepherd. That their God, this God who in so many ways was so set apart And so transcendent beyond their thoughts or imagination, this God would serve as a shepherd. And so they would say with great affection, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He lays me beside still waters. He leads me by green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He says, even though I'm surrounded by all my enemies, you place a table before my enemies, and I feast and I enjoy the goodness of life. And he says, why? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. He talks about his cup overflowing, and he says how good it is to be shepherded by God. The Hebrews would have known this to be true. This passage would have been read in the difficult times of life. We're no different when we read this at times of funeral or times of loss. We need a shepherd that is there to protect and to provide. And so what the author is saying is, you've got a God who's going to give you the peace to get through the struggle. You have a God who has the power to do whatever he needs to for you amidst the struggle. You have a God who's going to provide for you in the struggle and protect you amidst that trouble. And then he says, it's all based upon the promise of God. Write that down, the promise of God by the blood of the eternal covenant. So what this is, is this isn't, I'll do this, God says, if you do X, Y, and Z. I'll do this if you are good. I'll do this if you listen to me 100% of the time. No, it is given to us by the eternal covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ where God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you everywhere you go. When you sin, I am there. When you are holy, I am there. When you're on time, I'm there. When you're late, I'm there. When you're struggling, I'm there. When you're at the top of the mountain peak, I am there. In the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, I am with you, and I will never leave your side. And why does God do all this? So that we might, that we might, be established, that we might be able to get our legs underneath us, that we might be able to walk confidently, that we might be able to take the next step in the race. And so God is doing all of this for us. And we should praise him for it, and we should worship him for it, and we should be grateful for him 
in all that he does. Now, in verse 21, in light of all that God has done, he says, now I'm going to give you something for you to do, for you to be. Notice verse 21. I want to equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The author says, not only have you been established constantly, you're constantly being put on secure ground, the way that that's going to happen is he is going to equip you continually. Now, right away we hear the word equip, and what we think, and again, in the American vernacular is, God's going to give me the tools for me to do this. That is true. God does give the tools for whatever he calls you and I to, he gives us the tools that are necessary. If God has given you the gift of leading in worship, I'm going to believe God's going to give you the tools of having a voice that other people want to hear, right? If God has given you the gift of teaching, no doubt God is going to give you the tools that are necessary for people to want to listen to you preach or teach, I know this adage was such an encouragement for me as a young pastor here almost 20 years ago to be standing here and wondering, uh, where am I going to get the next sermon? Where am I going to get the next piece of wisdom or insight or experience? I didn't have the experience that most pastors would have. I didn't have the education that I felt I needed. There was a lot of things lacking. And I remember reading in a book this adage, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And that's a truth that we see throughout Scripture. Every man and woman of faith never was qualified in and of themselves, but God gave them, he equipped them to do the work. Now, that is a true adage. Here's the problem. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. So you're like, well, why did you even bring it up? I did because it's an important truth. But I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying is even more awesome. It's even more encouraging because the word he uses is used three other times in the New Testament. And I want to share with you where it gets used. First, in Matthew 4.21, it speaks of Jesus going to his disciples, the first of the disciples, and he meets them as they are mending their nets. That same Greek word for mending is the Greek word we have here for equip or equipping. Then in Galatians 6.1, the apostle Paul says that when a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ falls into sin, the other Christ followers, the other spiritual people around that person who has fallen into sin, Galatians 6.1 says, is to restore them and to do it gently. The word restore is the same word that we have here for equip. In fact, the word for equip that is being used here really isn't a word that we are equipped with tools, but what it is is God meets us where we are at, and he does what we can't do so that we can accomplish what he has for us. So this is where it's such an encouragement. What God is doing every step of the way in your race that's been marked out for you is he's dealing with all of your junk and my junk along the way. 
All of our idiosyncrasies, all of our uh, insecurities, all of our foibles, and yes, even our sins, what God is doing is he's mending that which is broken. He's restoring that which has faltered or fallen by the wayside. And what he is doing is he's saying, I'm going to put the things back together so that you might be able to serve me. Now, as that process happens... People are going to take notice. They're going to see, hey, wait a minute. You used to talk this way, and now you don't. You used to act this way, and now you don't. You used to dream or, or live out your life in this way, and, and now you don't. Something's changed. And the response can't be, well, it's because I'm a great man, or, or you say I'm a great woman, or look at all these things that I've done. Notice what the text says. It is through Jesus Christ, and it is to him is to receive all the glory forever and ever. When God does this work of restoration, our focus shouldn't be on that which is restored, but the one who restores. Let me explain. Last night, I had the great opportunity of uh, being the officiant for one of my former employees at my catering business. Danny is his name. And so, of course, it was a reunion of a lot of the old 5Bs employees, and Amanda and I were sitting at the table, and I was talking with one of my old employees, Matt. And Matt is a guy who works on cars and all of that, and he was showing me a picture of this old, old antique car. And he showed me the first pictures of it, and boy, did it look old and antique. There was all kinds of age to it and rust to it and rips to the upholstery and all of that. And then he began to flip through the slides of the pictures and begin to show me the restoration process. At no point, listen to me, did I say, wow, what an amazing car. You know what I said? What an amazing restoration process. Matt, your craftsmanship, your diligence, your, your patience in, in dealing with that. You have taken that which was ugly and made it beautiful. You took that which could not run and you've made it something that can run again. And it, and it looks great and it sounds great and, and it drives great. Wow, what an amazing restorer of a car, Matt, you are. Church, listen to me. God is in the process of restoring you and me. And each and every day, listen, don't ever forget this. As you run this race, God is restoring you. And he's fixing up the crinkled bumper you've got and the, and the wrong speech that you've got and, and the wrong actions you have. And Christ is saying to the Father, I've covered that, I've covered that. And now through the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna sanctify, I'm going to restore that which was flawed, that which was broken, that which was torn apart. I'm gonna mend, I'm gonna restore. I'm going to renew, and what we shouldn't do is allow the glory to come to us, but we should say, to Jesus Christ be all the glory. I was lost, and he found me. I was lame, and he made me to walk. I was blind, and Jesus made me to see. I was dead, and he raised me back to life. Can I tell you about the one who restored my soul? And so the author is saying, this process is happening, don't ever lose heart or lose sight of it. 
And as you do, be praising God. Give him the glory. Now, the reason why this restoration process is happening is if we don't have this restoration process, if we're not being equipped, we will never be able to do the will of God. We will never be able to please God. So what Jesus does is he fixes what is lacking in us so that we may glorify God by doing what is pleasing in his sight. And so this morning, maybe you've come and you're broken. Maybe you've come and you're hurting. Well, the answer is, is that you've come to the right place. Jesus is here, the great shepherd of the sheep, the great God who brings peace. This Jesus has come to make you new again. Give him glory, give him praise, and lean into the restoration process that he's doing so that you might be able to experience the great blessing of being broken and being made new. We've been established constantly. We're being equipped continually. And finally, the great gift that he gives us is we are engaged in community. We're engaged in community. Now the author goes on and he says in verse 22, now it's the real closing. This is the final approach. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. Now why does he say that? Let's just stop and pause there for a moment. The reason why is in this journey, we're going to read the Bible, and the Bible's going to say, do this and do that, be like this or be like that. And when it's difficult, when it's hard, when we're falling to sin, we're going to read this and say, I don't want nothing to do with this Bible. This Bible just keeps demanding things of me. And the author says, in light of all that God has done, the only thing that God asks of us is to listen and do what he tells us to. The only thing he calls you say, but I don't know if I can do it. Well, he just told you, it's him working through us. So all we need to do is say yes to God. I'm gonna do what your word says. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. Don't worry about it. God works in and through you. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. I don't know what it means for me. Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. All he requires of you is your obedience, bearing with this word of exhortation. Now, as a classic pastor, he says, of which I've written to you briefly, 13 chapters, classic. It's like a pastor. I'm just going to uh, preach for a short amount of time. You see? You see where I get it from? It's biblical, okay? So he goes on, and he says, okay, you should know that our brother Timothy, who's Timothy? Timothy is the pastor of the church of Ephesus, He is the spiritual uh, disciple of the Apostle Paul. He is the recipient of the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy. And he was a young man who had proven his net worth by being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Well, what do we know about Timothy? Timothy has been released. Released from what? The only thing that it can mean is he's been released from prison. This is probably one of the people that in chapter 13, the Hebrews were reminded to remember those in prison. So here's one of their pastors, one of their leaders, and he is in prison. He's been released, praise God, and now we're seeing that there's going to be a reunion with whom I, the author says, shall see you if he comes soon. It sounds like he's gonna meet up with Timothy and they're gonna come and meet the Hebrew people wherever they are. We don't know where they are, but we know 
that the writer and Timothy know where they're at because he's going to come and visit them. Now, why do we need to know this? What application is there for us in the 21st century? We don't know Timothy firsthand, and we don't even know where these Hebrew people are at. There's a practical truth in this, this verse here, and that is as we are engaged in community, as we live life together, as followers of Jesus Christ, and we study the word together, and we fellowship together, and we bear one another's burdens together, what inevitably will happen is, is we will start to look at others' needs and their life outside of our own. The author says, you need to be concerned about Timothy. He's been released from prison. Now that should stop the, writers of, or the readers of the Hebrew letter here. And what they need to recognize is, is Timothy had it worse than we did. Now these individuals, they've lost their standing in the community. Maybe they're having difficulty at work. Maybe they're having difficulty in their community. But they're not in prison and now they hear about someone who's been released from prison, endured an imprisonment. And what that does is it does what being a part of a church does. You and I by ourselves, we can say, woe is me. Maybe some of you today came into church and you're like, I've had a terrible week. I've had the worst of all weeks. And maybe there's some truth that it was a bad week for you. But if you start interacting with other people, you know what I find out? My week wasn't as bad as your week. My struggle wasn't as bad as your struggle. My difficulties aren't as difficult as your, the difficulties you're going through. I begin, when I engage in community with other believers and other people, I begin to take my eyes off of myself and I begin to look around at the world and I start to see, and I've got it a whole lot better than I thought. Timothy was in prison. And Timothy's just now being released from prison. And so if Timothy can be faithful amidst his imprisonment, if Timothy is willing as soon as he gets out of prison to go back probably to doing the things that got him into prison, preaching and living out the word of God and proclaiming Christ, then surely if he can do that amidst the difficulties of life, surely I can be obedient in the small ways that God has called me to. But notice this engagement also involves greeting. It's to greet not only the people but the leaders. So there's this sense of it's a community. It's a community of people. It's a set group of people. It has leaders. It has saints that are a part of it. It says greet all your leaders and, and all the saints. And, and then it says because you know how the Italians are. They want to always be listed. The Italians say, hey, tell them we said hello too. All right. And so the Italians send their greetings. The idea here is it's a family. The idea here is there's a place to call home. And what I want you to know is you and I will never fully graduate. We will never fully experience the blessing of this race unless we do it together. Unless we do it arm in arm, hand in hand, side by side, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the thing I love about this is there's people all over the place. We could change it into the Village Bible Church vernacular and we could say, you know, Pastor David at the Aurora campus sends his greetings. Soon he'll be coming and seeing us. And by the way, the people from Plano and Indian Creek, they send their greetings. The people from El Camino say hello. You see, even though we may not be in the same spot, we are one one in the family of God. We are one in our mission and vision together. And we do this together because together we are always better. 
And so the writer says, I want you to be encouraged by what God is doing. I want you to be encouraged by what God has done. And I want you to be encouraged by the community you're a part of. And so how does he close this book? In the best way possible. He says, grace be with all of you. What do we need to finish this race? Grace. What do we need to be victorious over sin? Grace. What do we need when we gather together and we have differences of opinions and thoughts? We need grace. What do we need to be the church that God wants us to be? Grace. What do we need to be the Christian God's called us to be? Grace. What is grace? God's unmerited favor and mercy and love. And what he's saying is is this is going over and over again. It will always be with you. And because of God's good faith and God's good love and God's good mercy, you and I will, listen to me church, we will graduate. We will hit the finish line. And we will do so with great joy and great excitement. Does that mean the race won't be hard? No, but God will get you through it. And God will give you everything you need. And when you break something or you fall, God will restore you and he will give you all all that you need so that on that great and glorious day of judgment, we will stand before God and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll say, it wasn't us, it was you, God, who did it. And we will explode into the most joyous and most fervor that we've ever experienced of worship saying, to you, God, be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen.